Hey, welcome to another uh, podcast with Conversations with Genesis Church. And uh, we are here with an uh, international missionary, and we're going to be talking to him in a few moments. And before we do that, I do want to highlight some things. If this is your first podcast to listen to, I do want to encourage you to um, check us out on whatever format uh, you listen to podcasts on. And for me, it's Spotify. So uh, just go to Spotify or wherever you go and look up Conversations with Genesis Church and just sort of scroll through some of the subjects. Uh, conversations, we talk to a little bit of everybody. We talk to um, obviously missionaries, national missionaries, church planners, uh, people doing some unique ministries. Uh, we also have uh, some theological conversations. Um, we also will have a one of the latest theological conversations really is was on Thanksgiving. So if you go back a couple of weeks, you will find that um, uh, me and Chris Creech, we talked about what the Bible says about Thanksgiving. And I want to tell you, that was one of the most surprisingly interesting podcasts that we've had theologically. I mean, uh, when it was over with, it was just amazing where we landed on this simple subject of Thanksgiving and how deep it went with just the verses we were looking at. So I would encourage you to check that out if you get an opportunity. Also, if uh, you haven't already, I want to encourage you to go see The Mayberry Man. Uh, my friend, uh, Alan Newsom, who is a co-star in it, he, uh, we interviewed him. And so uh, I want you to check that podcast out. Very fascinating. A lot of stories from behind the scenes of that movie. And also you get to hear his story of getting saved and getting to the ministry and how he uses this platform as uh, working with uh, uh, the Andy Griffith type festivals and stuff uh, around the nation. So anyway, uh, check all that stuff out. All right. So now with that said, uh, I have with me uh, Jeremiah and uh, he is a missionary and I want to let him introduce himself and just kind of tell us who you are and what you do and then I've got some questions for you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My uh, wife and I actually came to the field in 2005. I was an architect in Houston. And we met in high school. Um, after seven years of practice in Houston, uh, God had called us overseas. And so we uh, answered that call. And um, a long story short, we... Uh, the simple way of putting it is I call myself a fake missionary for the first four years. I, I, <laughs> I, I told God he made a mistake in calling me to go overseas. Uh, but we went in obedience, even though in my mind, I had no qualifications to go. I had no reasons to be going except for he called. His calling was very, very clear on our life. And so we went uh, very difficult, um, most difficult time of my entire life, our first four years on the field. The people were amazing, but just our circumstances were very, very rough. A lot of persecution, uh, a lot of sickness, a lot of illness, uh, just lots and lots of opposition to what we were doing. Uh, but then in about four and a half years, we saw some real breakthroughs, some significant breakthroughs. So we saw some breakthroughs before that, but really at the four and a half year mark was when we really started seeing significant traction for the kingdom and just seeing churches multiply. We're learning the language in a very difficult situation, a very difficult language to learn, uh, learning a culture that's completely the opposite of our culture. And really, but really that, at that point, we really started, the churches we were planting really began to grow and mature and then multiply at the same time and really begin to see that happen. From that point until uh, 
seven years after that, sorry, at our 12-year mark, we saw a dramatic increase in the kingdom, just numerical, uh, unbelievable, mind-blowing to me, shocking to me to be a part of a movement like that, just watching God move in a real dramatic way amongst people, most of which had never heard the gospel before. And just having, during that time, it was uh, 2.5 million people heard the gospel, uh, mouth to ear, and 48,000 were baptized uh, during that time. And Nearly 700 wow. churches were started during that time, and it's just amazing to watch. It's absolutely right. unbelievable. During that time, though, our vision and our passion really was we wanted, obviously, we wanted the gospel to go to those people and reach them, of course, but we really wanted to see them join us in mission, we really want to see them send their own missionaries uh, to join us in what we're doing. And we were just amazed. Again, I never thought in my lifetime I'd get to see church planning movements, but especially didn't expect to see people groups we were reaching become missionary senders and uh and they were doing that uh, poor uh they didn't have the legal resources or the abilities from a human perspective to really send their own missionaries but yet they were doing that just in faithfulness to the great commission and faithfulness to the gospel or raising up their own and paying to send their own and supporting their own go to reach other peoples who were less reached than they were it was amazing to be a part of then we were removed from that country we were unable to stay any longer and uh unable to go back there's no way to go back and uh we transferred to uh, taiwan at that point and that's where we are now um same same vision here how do we see the kingdom expand here and reach everyone here and then send their own missionaries out. The situation here is quite different than our first field of service. There were already churches. It was, it was already established. There's a lot of gospel work to do for sure, uh, but far more established in the churches we were working with. And yet almost no missions. Uh, there was very, very little in terms of actual sending. For most churches, the assumption was that missions is what Westerners do. That's what the Americans do. That's what the uh, Australians do. That's that's what the Canadians. Do. That's not what we do. That was that was much of their opinion. And so we worked hard for five years of helping us in. That is not that is not the design of God's kingdom. And uh, even though we want to look at it through a rational lens, which I used to as well. Uh, well, when we get enough resources and we have enough people and we have enough money, then we can join God in missions. That was the view of most of the churches here. And I used to have that view too. So I. I don't blame them for having that view, but it's still incorrect and still unbiblical and so still unacceptable, even though I don't blame them for it. So we're, we've been here working hard at helping them gain a vision for sharing the gospel with all the lost, the, their own people like them and people different than them at the same time, reaching their own oikos, their own neighborhoods, but at the exact same time reaching the nations and that it's not a first reach your neighborhood, then reach the nations. It's all at the same time. And that's been the vision of helping them understand the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom are opposite of the principles of our world. And, and so to, to get in the kingdom, you first give, right? To lead, you first serve. To live, you first die. That's how the kingdom works. And so helping churches realize that, that if they're not reaching the nations and they're not in the Great Commission reaching the nations, they are not understanding the heart of God and they are not understanding his kingdom. And so uh, to praise God that We've seen a dramatic shift in many of the churches here and watching them make these moves. And uh, two years ago, we're finally able to get enough uh, support, enough confidence from churches and, and partners here to begin setting up their own mission agency, similar to the IMB. 
want, we want it to be not an IMB entity. It needs to be a local entity. IMB is helping, but they're, it's, their, it's their mission agency that we work together to send our missionaries out. And we did that. It's legally set up, uh, worked through all the, all the political and relational milieu it takes to get something like that off the ground. Even though the convention, there's a Baptist convention here in Taiwan that was set up uh, 50, well, actually now it's 70 years ago. And uh, that convention, the original vision was to send their own missionaries, but it hasn't happened until a year ago. So starting, so we set the, set the agency up and then uh, right out a year ago, they commissioned their first five missionaries ever uh, to send out. And they have been sent out to other countries, joining IMB teams in other parts of the world. And then this year, we just now commissioned nine more uh, two weeks ago uh, to send out to other parts of the world. So it's very exciting to see what God is doing. Did any of those missionaries, were they sent to the United States? Just out of curiosity? No, no, none are, you know. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's still 3,180 unengaged, unreached people groups in the world. Right, yeah. And most of those are, most of those in Asia, North Africa, Middle East, but right. not exclusively. There are some in the United States, actually. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah I've heard of uh, some churches in other countries who have decided to target, you know, the like the big inner city type stuff where that's right. Sort of like their right. people are are, are are at, you know. And but uh, now I want to back up for just a moment, just so our listeners is clear that uh, you you've actually served in in two places. The first place you mentioned we can't mention, and right. so. Uh, and you were there 12, 12, years. 12 years, and then uh, and now you're in Taiwan, and how long you been there? Five years. Five years. Okay, it's five years. You may have said that, but I just got, lo I was, got lost in my own little thoughts there. Um, okay, so now for you being in Taiwan, let me ask you, okay, so are you married? You got kids, all that kind of stuff? I do, yeah. Married to my high school sweetheart. Um, we, we met uh, at lunch in my senior year in high school and dated nice. for three and a half years afterwards I got married at that point um I graduated from Texas A&M my wife graduated from the University of Houston Clear Lake mm -hmm. uh, she was the first Christian in her family wow. uh, so when she came to faith uh my parents led her to faith when she came to faith uh she was this fireball for Jesus and just very excited about the gospel the gospel if Jesus could save her he could save anyone was really her her opinion right. and approach at life and how and has always been very zealous a very zealous evangelist ever since. Uh, we have three kids. Um, we were unable. So when we, before we got married, our plan was to adopt and have our own. And uh, 10 years after being married, we still couldn't have kids. And so we obviously wanted to adopt is always plan A to adopt. And so we thought, well, if God's plan and his will is for us to only adopt. We're fine. That's fine. Right. It took a death to self to, to, to come to that conclusion that God's will is best no matter what, even when it's not what I want, right? Um, uh, but, you know, the good news is adoption was always plan A for us anyway. It wasn't, well, we can't have kids, so we're going to adopt it. That was not how the thought process went at all. Um, so we adopted, and from Asia, our oldest son uh, comes from Asia. And God, and uh, we discovered later on one reason for all the health problems that uh, my wife had our first term on the field was because she had endometriosis i had no idea what that was until she was diagnosed with it mm. and uh, it's a condition that doesn't allow her to have kids right and but the doctors are saying the only real cure is to have kids so it's this catch 22 of how do you <laughs> how do you navigate this right 
And uh, they recommended hysterectomy. She didn't want to do that at that. She was too young for hysterectomy. Didn't want to do that. If we could, if we could avoid that at all costs at all, if, if possible. Um, although we were open to it, if there was just really no other option. Um, finished the adoption, I got in a sense of humor. Five days later, uh, my wife found out she was pregnant with wow. our second one. Total sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, and how that worked out. Uh, however, though, she didn't produce any of the like progesterone or any of the enzymes and things necessary to sustain the baby. So throughout the pregnancy, every day we're doing blood tests and shots and supplements and all kinds of stuff to maintain her hormone level to the right level to have the baby. And she was born and, uh, and fine as a perfect delivery and everything worked out great. And, uh, the doctors, you know, they said, that was great. Don't expect another. And we're like, we're fine. You know, two's great. We're, we're happy. Our original plan was six. Then after two, we were so tired. Like, I can't imagine six <laughs> <laughs> on the field. They got a sense of humor again. Uh, gave us a third. Yeah. So we have, have uh, two boys and a girl now. And uh, they're, they're awesome. They go to local school. Uh, their Mandarin Chinese is excellent. And, uh, and they, they just do, they're thriving, doing really, really well. So they're, they're all, bi they're both bilingual. All three of them are bilingual. Uh, they Mandarin Chinese and English, and in some cases, their mother tongue probably is Mandarin instead of English. So we've discovered with two of our kids, we have when we're homeschool, we do homeschool local school combo. Uh -huh. uh, when we're teaching them, we have to treat two of our kids as English as second language kids. Oh yeah, right. Realization that 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 would they operate they think uh, in Mandarin more than they do in English. How, and, how old are how old are your kids? Uh, 13 one just turned 11 while i'm here in quarantine wow okay uh, 13 11 and 7 okay wow you know i would have okay see that's interesting because i would have never thought but it makes sense where you have your kids raised in another country another culture a different predominant language and really probably the primary place they hear english is in your house that's correct that yeah. is correct that's the that's really the only place right. they hear English. Just that, or when they're calling their grandparents on on an iPad or something. That's that's <laughs> about it. Other than that, their world is a Chinese world, and wow. in terms of Mandarin Chinese or Taiwanese, they uh, two of them understand Taiwanese quite well as, as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, their worldview. They've only spent. We figured out they spent less than ten percent of their existence in the United States, and so the rest of their life has been mostly in Asia. And um, because of that, they, they, they look American, and when they speak, their accent sounds like they would, they're American, but they really don't really understand the United States really much at all. So each time we go back for a stateside assignment, we go back next year. Every time we go back, we have to prep them on what American culture is, and I'm not really sure what it is anymore either. I'm almost as lost as they are. In terms of what's what the jokes are, what what's humorous anymore, I, I really don't know. And every time I go back, I'm shocked at how different the United States is each time we go back because we we just we pop out of that bubble and we pop back in, and it's so different. And the the culture is so different, the worldview is so different. What people are interested in is so different than what they were when we left last time. So my kids, they go back. The struggle is people expect them to understand culture, jokes how to interact with kids. Our last date side, uh, we had got pulled aside a few times at our home church and people saying, your kids are offensive. And we were like, can you tell us why? And, uh, and it's, you know, they're really sweet kids, 
it is all misunderstandings. Our kids are saying things that you would say in our context here, and it's perfectly normal and acceptable, but in an American context was very offensive, and there's no intention on being offensive, but everyone expected, hey, they should know better, right? And so when our kids are here, though, people expect that our kids don't know better. And so when we make cultural mistakes here, everyone gives us a lot of grace because, yeah, you're foreigners and, you know, you don't understand. But oh, we're in the yeah. States, though, that we do understand. The reality is we understand here far better than we understand there. It's a very yeah. weird oh, world. Interesting. Yeah, you yeah. know, see, that's a little, see, now that's a little, that's not say little, but, you know, so that's one of those things that I think a lot of church folks and a lot of our listeners they will, they, they probably never thought about that, you know, with what yeah. you just said about your kids, you know, coming back to the States, they look like Americans, but their thinking is not, you know, their communication is not, and uh, like you, they don't get the jokes and they don't get the innuendos and all that stuff, you know, um, you know, when I first started dating my wife, we had these conversations, she was raised, she's a missionary kid, and she was raised in okay. Africa, mm -hmm. And so she would come back to the States occasionally, you know, furlough and stuff. And uh, she says the same thing. And, uh, and I hadn't thought about that in years because we've been married 31 years now. But, uh, uh, but I had forgotten about that where, you know, she'd come back and she just didn't really connect, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And it took her a while to get adjusted once she came back for good. Um, okay, so, all right, now, you, you got your family there. And... Um, so what, uh, what is it that you actually do? I mean, are you, okay. church, are you a church planner? Are you pastor trainer person, coordinator? Or what, what do you do? My role just changed actually six weeks ago. So uh, for the first, for seven years, my role was what was called a cluster leader. And that changed about six weeks ago. So cluster leader, I would lead, leaders who lead teams. And so in, in some cases I had as few as 12 teams I led. In other cases, I had as many as 30 teams that I led. And so I was responsible for the teams, their well-being, their work, their ministry, working with national partners, helping us have a cohesive strategy that really engaged whole massive population segments. Uh, the largest segment I've been a cluster leader over was 650 million people and all the cities and groups inside of that, how do we comprehensively engage that entire area? That was what I did for a long time. Um, but with the rise of what we call globalization, and that's what Hawaii is all about, is, is globalization. It's the idea of all nations who are believers, at least, uh, to raise up their own missionaries to send out to reach the other nations that need the gospel. And that's more the idea. So it's no longer a Western-centric concept. It's really global-centric. It's anywhere to everywhere, all all nations who uh, can send to send missionaries and us a system in that process and we'll partner with in that process. That's grown to such a great level that we realize we need to have a dedicated team just focusing on that because there's so many needs and problems inside of that realm of missions is missions is unlike any ministry the church does when you think of cross-cultural, especially international missions, right? When you think of, well, in IMB, we always talk about the core missionary task. Are you familiar with that term? Mm -hmm. Right. But our, so, but our listeners may not be, so. Okay. Yeah. So what we call it, the missionary task, unfortunately, most people define missions in a way that's unbiblical, right? When we look at biblical missions and what it is, it's about what we call the core missionary task. And everything revolves around that. So you look at the, the journeys, you look at Jesus and how he led his disciples. 
You look at Paul and how he did his ministry journeys. You look at Peter and how he did his missionary journeys, and you'll find a core missionary task inside that. In other words, it's entry. It's the first part. You got to get in and amongst your people. Well, when you're doing church planting, there's a little bit of that, right? You're planting a church. So you're planting a church. You have to be amongst your people to engage with them, right? That's entry. And for international missions, entry is more complicated than, than not because you have to learn language, learn visa, have platform, all these other things to, to really artificially sustain you in another environment to engage that other, that other people group. So that's entry. Then evangelism is number two, discipleship, leadership formation, uh, leadership development, then church formation is number five. And then finally, exit to partnership. In other words, it's missions, taking your national partners from one place and engaging another place. So the mission field becomes the missionary sender, and that is globalization. So in, uh, in when you look at the core missionary task of a church, of a local church, take your church, this is church, for example, right? You have to enter among your people. You have to evangelize your people, disciple those who come to faith, grow leaders from those people so that you can do church formation. You can form a church that can grow and then plant more churches, right? That's the idea. But the, all those aspects of the core missionary task in its essence really benefit Genesis Church, right? You share the gospel, the lost come to faith, that's a benefit. You disciple, you people become spiritual infants to spiritual parents and grandparents, that's a, that's a benefit, right? We grow more leaders in the church, it's a benefit. The church forms and is matured, that's a benefit. Plant more churches, that's a benefit. But missions is the only ministry a church does really that brings no benefit to a church. I mean, apart from, there's a few other specialist things, but right, you think about it, you send your best, you send your money to another place, and none of that comes back to benefit your church. That's the kingdom lived out. It's the kingdom principles. You give, and by giving, you receive, right? You become that, what we call that tube of blessing, ultimately, and that's that's what that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so when we're sending out missions, so my role now is called globalization strategist for my affinity. Now, we were doing this already, though. When I was a cluster leader, uh, we were already focusing a lot on how do we raise up national missionaries and support national missionaries. And we don't want them to be dependent on American money. But we want to be generous and help out still. And how do you play that balance? It's very hard, very difficult to do. Uh, it's been a challenge. And we've been doing that for a while. But now there's so much momentum in that area, we realize we've got to get ahead of the curve on working with our partners. Otherwise, this is going to be very disastrous because it's the desire is there and the zeal is there. We're seeing that. We're excited to see that. Like in our affinity right now, there's 97 million evangelical believers in our affinity now. If you looked at that uh, 150 years ago, there were almost zero. Uh, so it's amazing to see how God has expanded the kingdom uh, among the nations of the affinity I serve in now. It's been great. And now they're sending. They have been sending already, but it's been chaotic. It's been sporadic. Uh, oftentimes, it's a lot of failure involved. And that failure, because of the cultures of this affinity with face and all of this, when they fail, oftentimes they're unable to return to their home churches because there's too much shame and embarrassment in that failure. It's a different. It's different than what we have in the West. And so now we want to help them do that on a systematic scale. Wow. Yeah. So um, the, IMB, the IMB has created goals to uh, specifically to this end. It's the first time in IMB history. Uh, we've created goals to help national missionaries, non-American missionaries join us in the missionary task. And so we can, there's a little bit of financial help, just a little bit though. It's just really the, it's more of a token of appreciation, if you will, to really help them in their ministry. But it's really not about the money because it's not very much money. 
it's really about uh, bringing on to teams and mentoring and strategizing together and really raising them up so they can develop their own strategies alongside of us and work together to finish this great commission. That's really what it's, what it's all about. So their goal is about 2025 to have 500 of these type of missionaries serving on IMB teams. And we're hoping for much more than that as well, but that's one of the core goals IMB has. So to that end, we've created this team. It's me and I brought a few other teammates on with me. And then we're assisting and working with all of our teams and all of our national partners throughout Asia to raise up their own missionaries, vet them well, send them well, support them well, and then create receiving teams so these missionaries can join IMB teams somewhere else for a short period of time, two to three years. That's the idea. And then they'll no longer be on IMB teams. Instead, they'll walk side by side with IMB teams and develop strategy together and, and really help expand the capacity of sending out missionaries worldwide. That's, that's the thrust behind what we're doing now. Wow, that uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds exciting. It sounds huge. Sounds big. Sounds complicated. You know, and uh, but wonderful all at the same time. So, yeah, yeah. So, and and that's a new now. That's your that's a new hat for you. Even though you were eh, sort of doing it already, but now that's it's official. correct. Yeah. It was one of my hats before. So I had I wore many hats before. Right. And that was that was part of the frustration is we knew and not a lot of attention needed to be given to this, but my attention was split on so many other things at the same time. We finally realized that there's a way, let's just find a way to, to reorganize and set it so we can really put our money where our mouth is, right? And it's really zero in and get this done well. So over the next three to four years, we're hoping to develop as a as a healthy system. Uh, that can be expanded out and given to other national partners in, in this endeavor. So the creation of Huayu is one of these pieces in that, in that what we're trying to create. We're trying to create a global Baptist mission sending network that's really, for us, we're, we're in Asia, right? So we're looking for an Asia, the Asian side of that. How do we create that? Sending and receiving, uh, being part of that, helping that be a part of the church's DNA. So when they're thinking church planting, their end goal is not a church that's thrive, that's uh, not a church that's just existing, but a church that's sending its own missionaries, uh, thriving and able to send and plant more, right? Local and international at the same time. We want that to be their heart. And, uh, and if, that, if that's the case, then there's no way to stop. Uh, there's no limit, really, to what the church can do if they're really keeping that great commission in view from the very beginning. That's so in the area that you're at... Um... The um, what, what's the like um, Christian culture there? I mean, is it you said something about 97 million or something right. out of how many people we're we talking about here? Right. 2.2 billion human beings are in this affinity. So my affinity is a brand new affinity inside the IMB. So we divide up our chunks of work by affinities. And that has everything to do with typically with ethno-linguistic likenesses is really the idea behind it. So we're looking at people groups, right? We want to fulfill, we want to see, we know it's going to be fulfilled, but we want to be an integral part of fulfilling, you know, the Revelation 7-9 vision to have people from all nations, tribes, tongues, and languages uh, serving around, around the throne, worshiping the king, right? So right now there's, there's at least 3,180 people groups that are not represented around the throne of Christ right now. And many of those are in this affinity and we want to reach them, but we want to send out to reach the rest as well. Uh, still, one third of all human beings have never heard the gospel before. So we know that. We know that every day, 155,000 people are uh, are dying apart from Christ every single day. In this affinity, it's 43,454. It's a very specific number. 
but that's that's the number of people in this affinity of 2.2 billion people here, 43,454 die every day without Jesus, and many of them have never heard the gospel before. So we there's while there is 97 million evangelical believers. Now, if you throw on Catholics on top of that, that number grows. But look at evangelical believers in this affinity; it's 97 million of 2.2 billion. Yeah, if I, and, I, I, just, I just I just did the math, and that's about that's only like five percent. That's correct. That's only five percent. Yeah, it is. It's five percent, right. and it's unevenly distributed too. It's like some people groups have as much as thirty or forty percent Christian, while still many of them are still zero or less than one percent. So we're trying to figure out how to use the resources from one field and and mobilize them to send them out to another area. And oftentimes it's much less expensive, uh, more expedient uh, for a near culture person to engage in some of these people groups than it is for a Westerner to join into it. We have our role. In some cases we can do direct, like here, here in Taiwan, a Westerner can directly engage in, in mission work. And that's true in many places, but there are many, there's no way, there's no way we're gonna get in. Even if we could get in, we endanger everyone for doing so. So working with national partners and having them go in and we're working with them on a peripheral support basis is more appropriate in some situations. And so we're looking at how do we systematically do that? How do we raise awareness, raise support, develop pipelines and systems to make sure they can go when they need to? That was the development of YU. There are people who wanted to go on mission, but there's no way to actually do it. So imagine the Southern Baptist now, if we did not have like an IMB. Now there are other, there are other agencies. I get that. There are other agencies, um, but most agencies in the United States have been around for a long time. Uh, but imagine if there were no mission agencies in the United States and you're trying to send, right? That's, this is not a viable option. Well, here in Taiwan, there are a few agencies, but very, very few. Um, and then the Baptists didn't have any at all. And so now they do. And so we praise God for that. And, but there are, there are 65 other Baptist conventions in this affinity as well. The affinity goes from Mongolia all the way down. If you just draw a line from Mongolia all the way down to Indonesia and go over to Myanmar, all the way over to Japan, just that, that whole area is what this affinity is. If you look at that, there's 65 Baptist conventions in there. And in those conventions, there's only three of them that have a sending agency as a part of who they are. That's it. Wow. So yeah. there's 62 have nothing. And the only reason there's three is because Hawaii has helped with two of those. To help okay. develop them. Before that, there was only one. Wow. Uh, so, so now there's three, right? We yeah. have 62 to go. I like so. it. That's a 300% increase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? That'll work. 300% increase, man. That'll work anywhere, man. <laughs> all right. So now, all right. Outside, okay. You mentioned uh, evangelicals and, and Catholics. Okay. Outside of that, what are some other predominant? I mean, what's the spiritual? atmosphere there that you guys encounter in this in this affinity you'll find mostly it's it's animism and it's for i never knew what that was before i was with imb i remember when i came with imb talk about how talk about how unqualified i was as a missionary i went to uh interview and uh, they you know and another missionary is being interviewed asked me he said so the people group you're going to are they animists i was like what does that mean i was like they like animals like i had no idea what animism meant right what it means is it's for for sp the spirit world to animate our physical world 
so that's why they believe in fire gods and tree gods and sun gods and all these other things like the spirits are manipulating the physical world and if i manipulate the physical world i can then manipulate the spiritual world as well that's that's the predominant worldview it's not a religion it's a worldview and then there's these veneers placed on top of it and those veneers oftentimes are like buddhism for example uh folk islam is another example of that it it looks like islam but it's really animism it looks like buddhism but it's really animism uh in in the the biggest country in china here it is it's atheism but it's not real atheism either it's also animism and so uh actually Huh. Uh, in a country like that, it's the vast majority, 1.5 billion people of the 2.2 billion of this affinity are in that country. And, and they would officially say it's, it's atheism, but the reality is it's really animism. That's the reality of what's going on for the vast majority. And some places you, have, you find, like in Japan, it's different, right? You have Shintoism and other places there. You have Taoism is another is another key worldview that you find uh, in these areas as well. So, and then you have you do have some very devout Muslim and very devout Buddhist as well, but they're more the minority than you'll find in, in other places. That's the majority worldview what we're finding. Lots of idol worship, like here in Taiwan, it's idol worship everywhere you go. There's little temples and little altars everywhere to all kinds of idols, to all kinds of gods, and a lot of ancestor worship that go that goes with it. So it's very different than uh, like. Like in the West, right? Or you'll you'll tend to find if there is animism, but it's not as it's more of a veneer, if you will, right? We tend we tend to be more naturalistic, atheistic in our worldview in the West. We're here, the spirit world is very in their mind, they're very aware of the spiritual world here. So it is a uh, it's just different. So all right, just I mean, just kind of play with me here. Yeah. So if you uh, if a person were to go into the your affinity, as you're calling it. Um, and let's say they were to start a church. Let's say somebody there said, hey, I'm going to start a church. Uh, how does that look? I mean, because obviously Genesis Church, we're like six years old, five, year, five, six years old. And so we know what starting a church looks like in America. But what does it right. look like there? Um, you know, with with, what, with what's going on over there? Well, unfortunately, in the open countries like Korea, Japan, Taiwan, and other places, the the church the church planting and church idea reflects the United States 1960, 1970. It's very unfortunate. So uh, interesting. We're trying to we're trying to undo a lot of that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and okay, back up for just back up for just a moment. So what you're saying, make sure I'm, I'm with you. So what you're saying is is that the church planting model looks like the 60s and 70s. That's correct. Okay, so and are they creating churches that also look like from the 60s and 70s? That's correct. Well, why? okay, so why? I mean, what, what's... Uh... That's because that's what... So, in, so the, the societies here in this, in this part of the world, it's like a fundamental necessity of understanding is they're, they're basically Confucius. And what that means is that Confucianism really centers around relationships and how they how they work together uh hierarchical relationships in particular so there's always there's a top down to everything everything's a top down relational structure and so you have to pop into that when you come into this part of the world of understanding that every, the, the american egalitarianism where everyone's equal 
that's a farce in this part of the world. Everyone here, there's everyone is expected. There's a there's a, an upper level and a lower level, and you're somewhere in that pecking order. And so, in their minds, the missionaries that came before were high up here, and their standard they set is the standard. And so, we don't deviate from that. That's what they told us to do, and so we do that. And so, it's just been held on to ever since hmm. then because of that's what that's what those above us get handed down to us. Now, now we hold that. And we're up here now and everyone else below us is to then do what we do because we do what we were told to do. And that's really, that's a lot of the worldview. You're seeing some tweaks, but I mean, any innovation you see here is really a tweak. It's not a, it's not dramatically different uh, for the most part. Now in places where you can't do that, um, like for, for example, China is a clear example of that. And there's more than just China. There's other countries in this Part of this part of the world you, you can't do it either you couldn't do it that way because you just the police would arrest you for even trying so you have to have a different model so in places like china for example it's it's primarily a house church model so what's beautiful about that in a place like that is that you really just go back to what the scripture says what does the bible say church actually is and what you find is it's actually really simple there's really it's not complex really at all it, this the simplicity of it that makes it so beautiful and it's just you know it's core missionary task we share the gospel with people win the lost gather them together and make a church and that's really kind of it and then uh and because of like a place like china it, there was a time when if you had more than 30 it was illegal so as long as you didn't have 30 it wasn't illegal that's not true anymore but that was true uh so before you hit 30 people in your church you need to think about planting a new one because you don't want to hit 30 so by the time you have 20 you, you already think we got it's time to plant a new church now that's a mindset we don't have in open countries around the world it doesn't exist in any open country hardly uh regardless of where it is in the world um so in that way it's very fundamentally different it's just it's simple church how do we grow more leaders because you got to have more leaders to have more churches and you got to have more churches because we're not going to stop sharing the gospel really it's that it's that kind of a it's that thought and mindset that goes into it and a lot of church planting that was in china happens really organically you just have brothers and sisters sharing their faith. And because they're sharing their faith, people come to faith. And when they come to faith, they have to be discipled. And you get discipled in the church, right? Jesus died for the church, not just for us as individuals, as we see in Ephesians 5. So in, in that, we got to keep going. And the only way to keep going is to grow more leaders. And uh, ready or not, here we come, right? You got to have leaders and have leaders and you build churches and on you go, right? It's really kind of, it's really kind of it. Where it gets complex is how to, how to organize, administrate that. And how do you have... Most people have to be unpaid, and then you. But some are paid, and how do you administrate that? How do you do that? That's where it gets complex and difficult in an environment like that. But church itself is actually quite simple. There's no programs because you really can't afford to be doing them. You just, it's just prayer in the Word and uh, fellowship, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, it's it, it's nice. You can just focus on sharing the gospel, winning the lost, making disciples, and, and, and leave it at that. Coming to a place like here in Taiwan, the challenge has been how, how to get them from where they are, where it's highly program-based, tons of programs, lots of structures, and the structures drown out the ability to really do the core missionary tasks. They're so busy in choir practice and in awanas and all these other things we've got set up here that they say, we don't have time to share the gospel with a lost person. I, I'm never with the lost person because I'm always just doing so many church activities. I can't do that. It's like, please don't do that. Please don't. Please don't imitate us in that way. That is not a good thing to imitate at all. No. Get out to the lost and share with them yeah. and make disciples and learn how to do it. And that's yeah. been a real challenge because it's comfortable to run programs. That's what's always been done. 
And, uh, but it is, it is what stands in the way of them having time of winning the lost. And so we're seeing a shift here in Taiwan. We're seeing shifts in some of the areas as well, where they're realizing COVID's helped a lot. A simple church is actually really nice. And um, going back to that, just what does the Bible say? And let's yeah. go back to core missionary task and zero in on that. Any programs we have that help in that are good. Any programs that stand in the way of that, we need to either adjust or get rid of. And that's a healthy way of looking at things. And um, so like in this part of the world, whether it's Southeast Asia or East Asia here in this part of the world, traditions hold high value and traditions are held unintentionally at biblical levels. And so getting traditions and change is a challenge and really helping people see that all traditions at one point were breakthroughs at one point in the past. And at one point, these traditions didn't exist. Um, and it's okay for those things to change. We don't, we're not dishonoring those things. They, they, any tradition that we have served a time and a place in the society at some point in the past, but the church isn't innovating and the church isn't sharing the gospel, the church will die. And uh, church history has bore that out too many times to count. And unfortunately here in this part of the world, in open countries, our legacy areas, we're seeing churches die and they're watching that. And, uh, and they, they don't want the church to die. And so the only way to not die you share the gospel and you innovate, right? You got to, you're meeting a new, the society today is not what it was 30 years ago. It's not what it was 50 years ago. And you cannot serve a society that's, that's been dead a long time. It's uh, the, the needs today are different, right? Their need for the gospel is the same, but the needs and worldview of society is so different than it was then. So you got to adjust and go with it. So I think COVID has forced that. I praise God for it in that way. It's forced the issue, online church, online systems, uh, simplifying schedules, not overburdening ourselves with so many activities. We're just busy at all times every day, really just intentionally sharing with lost people. And that's what a lot of churches encouraged to do. Get online and share with lost people. You're stuck at home. People need the gospel. People are receptive. And we're seeing an uptick in baptisms and evangelism and church planting here that we haven't seen in a really, 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 really long time uh, because of that. So I praise God for that. Okay, so let's um, all right. Let's say somebody's listening, and uh, and they're either another pastor listening, or an individual. They're thinking, "Man, I'd like to go over to Taiwan on a mission trip," you know, as an individual or as a church, um, like a church group. What? Uh, how does that look? What does that look like? Is that even possible? Or is it necessary uh, on your end? It is. Okay. It is. Taiwan is a great. Uh, a great entry-level mission opportunity for Asia. It's in so many ways. One, Taiwan's very foreigner-friendly. Uh, the food is clean. The water is clean. It's, a, it's very developed in that way. The need for the gospel is tremendous. Uh, there's still a lot of people who've never heard the gospel before. And there's a lot of churches that want to partner with us. So a lot of churches have said, okay, we want help. Help us. And one of the easiest and best ways for us to do that is to send a volunteer team to a church and do evangelism together. It can take several forms. Uh, English camps are an easy way to do that. Uh, everyone would love to learn English. And so if we advertise, hey, we got some Americans coming that will teach English, but we're going to do it through the church. So this is one advantage we get to have here is we get to uh, advertise, hey, this is the Baptist church is going to have an English camp. It's going to be for a week, and we're going to share the gospel with them. We're going to go through the Bible with them. We're blunt on what it what's going to happen. All these parents will sign their kids up. All these idol-worshiping parents will sign their kids up to join in these camps. And uh, it's been highly successful and very effective. And that's one way to get the church 
engage with families they would never get to engage with. So what we do with the church is to develop a strategy to not just engage with those kids, their junior high, high school, college age, not just engage with them. We want them to engage with them too, obviously during that camp, but really pull in the families uh, from engaging those kids. And, and we try to do the camps in schools and places like that, and they let us do that. And then work with them that way to engage those families and continue throughout the year sharing the gospel with them, bring them in. And that's been highly successful. It's an easy win. It's a great way to get involved, uh, get involved in understanding this Asian culture. Um, Taiwan's a melting pot in many ways. So you can get to, a lot, get to lots of different types of Asian culture in one place. It's clean. It's safe. It's extremely safe, much safer than the United States. Uh, very, very safe place to go. Uh, churches are sweet, want to know, want to work with us. Uh, this is a way to expand IMB's capacity to influence the churches, to be more evangelistic, to be more outreach oriented, to think how to engage people they wouldn't normally engage and interact with, really grow the church, their capacity for sharing the gospel and making disciples. So they, one easy way, just to, you can contact us, contact IMB. We have opportunities uh, to serve in Taiwan. We'd love for them to come. The only thing we need is for COVID to be over with so we can borders open and get visas to come in. But we're very hopeful that summer of 2022, that teams will be able to come back in at that point and serve with us. So for them to go to Taiwan, they would need not contact you. They contact imb.org, go to their website, get a phone number or whatever, shoot an email to them. And right. Say, that way you contact me too. That's fine. Okay. Either way, it's fine. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get you in touch with the right teams. We have teams all over the island that, that would love to have uh, our, our brothers and sisters from the States come over and join us in mission. We'd love to have that. Okay. And uh, with that said, if uh, for the uh, listeners, I'm actually going to hold something up on the screen and it is the uh, week of prayer for international missions that they put out in December. And uh, Jeremiah, he is on day seven. So they actually have eight days. Uh, that you can pray through different missionaries around the world. And uh, if you want to read a little bit more about him, uh, it's right there, right there. And then you have some prayer requests there um, that's at the bottom that, um, uh, that you can pray for him and the ministry over there. And so, uh, um, okay, so I got another question. I, I don't, maybe it's just because of where you're at. Uh, I noticed that on the IMB site, um, there were no, they usually have a video, like a three to five minute video for yeah. each missionary and what they That's do. Right. Yeah. There was not one for you. I know. Yeah. It's unfortunate. We yeah. had actually still have that and get that done is because of COVID they were unable to get over here and I was unable to get uh, okay. there in the time frame they needed to set those up. All right. Yeah, so I see, I had talked to another uh, missionary um, this morning and uh, in he had the same issue and there's no video, but you know what? We didn't even, he or I didn't even think about the whole COVID issue about getting yeah. people over there and in there and shooting, you know, videos ahead of time, you know, like kind of stuff. Right. That made, okay. Cause I was wondering why, cause I, when I went on there, I said, okay, they got day two and they got day five. They don't have, day. I thought, well, that's odd. Cause they're usually really on top of it. You know, they are. Yeah. They but, have yeah. high standards. They want their video to be really high quality. They do. The equipment we had wasn't to their standard. We were taking video, but they said, yeah, this really doesn't, this really doesn't hit our yeah. standard. And um, so we just weren't able to make it, make it work. Yeah. See the IMB, they, you know, right now we are not meeting their standard <laughs> <laughs> as we record this. Uh, but, you know, yeah, level, I get it. You know, they want it professional and, 
because they're uh, it's going to be mass produced and all of that so uh well okay so jeremiah thank you so much man i, I mean i have a ton of other questions i would love to ask you but man we're starting to push 45 minutes maybe at this point 50 minutes okay. yeah, yeah so uh um but uh, we appreciate you so much and what you thank do you. and uh we just thank god for people like you who are answered the call to do missions. I mean, it's not for everybody in the sense that you're doing it, but it is for everybody at some level. And mm -hmm. so, um, but we thank God that you're over there and you've obviously been talented in skills, got a passion and, um, uh, and we need you. And so, Amen. thank you. Yeah. Stay faithful. Can uh, I give, uh, can I give everyone two contact uh, yeah. points? Uh -huh. uh, so one is a website for Huayu. It's called www.gohuayu.org. That's G-O-H-U-A-Y-U.org. Okay. And that's to the, that's, they can just see what Huayu Missions is doing right now. And there's an English and a Chinese side to that site. So they can look and see there's testimonies on there and, and what's going on with the missionaries. And if they want to know more about the missionaries themselves or how to get involved with missions here in Taiwan, if they want to come over and join, mm -hmm. uh, my email address is jdavis at imb.org. So j-d-a-v-i-s at imb.org. We'd love to hear from you. We send out newsletters. We'd love to you know, have prayer supporters praying for us and being more informed of what we're doing and all of that as well. So yeah, we'd love to be in contact with your people. That'd be awesome. Hey, again, thank you so much, man. Glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. God bless you. All right.